let's just fix our eyes on Jesus like we've been talking about. There's nothing I love more when I'm preaching than uh, it's not so much you're listening to me, but you're listening to what God might be saying to you. So let your agreement that he's right here combine with some expectancy that he actually has something for you. Oh, and uh, I'm just going to let myself roll with this. Sometimes when I experience God's presence, I'll uh, shake a little bit. The simplest way for me to describe it is, is if I took a fork and I stuck in an electric socket, what would happen? <laughs> a whole bunch of energy would come through my body, and I might shake a little bit, maybe yell out a little bit. So what happens when I connect to the most powerful being in the universe? Now, we all experience God in different ways. So... I give you permission to let him meet with you however you want, and I'm going to ask you permission to let him meet with me (laughs) in ways that may seem strange. (laughs) I'm just going to go with it. And use it as a sign or a demonstration that he's actually here and he wants to meet with you. So did you catch what this passage described what happened when the Spirit came? How Luke describes this violent wind. Have you ever been in a violent wind? The first thing that came to my mind was windsurfing in the English Bay up in Vancouver, and it was way too windy for me to be out there with the size of sail that I had. I could barely lift the sail up, and whenever I got anywhere close to having it out of the water, the wind would take me wherever it wanted, which happened to be further and further from the beach, closer and closer to cargo ships that were going into the Vancouver Harbor, and I could barely turn the thing around. I was out of control. Say that with me. Out of control. What else does he describe? Tongues of fire. Whoa. That rested... On them Now, fire is great stuff because it can be like fuel, cooks our food, keeps us warm. But as I've experienced before in my life, you think you've got fire under control, and the next thing, the thing can just get out of control. And fire can burn and kill and destroy. It wasn't the most brilliant move in my life, but we were staying in a hotel, and I wanted to save a little money on some dinner, and we happened to have a camp stove with us for the trip. So I put it on the mantle in the hotel room right by its fireplace. I mean, it was located close to the fire. And the X that I thought was the sign on the valve that controlled the amount of fuel that it would release into the stove was actually a plus. So when I turned it all the way to the X, which was actually a plus, and lit it with a pot of water on top, the flame shot up so high, I jumped back, knocked the water over, which then caused the fire to spread onto the carpet and set the fire alarm off, I was out of control. Say it with me. (laughs) What else does Luke describe? They appeared that they were drunk. What does it look like when people are drunk? What do you start picturing? Now, it's interesting, in Jewish expectation of that day, when God would restore Israel and bring his spirit back, one of the things they'd look for was that there would be feasts and celebration because there would be agricultural abundance And one of the things that would mark it was new wine. There would be plenty of wine to go around. And something that happens when people get drunk is that uh, frontal lobe isn't firing on all cylinders and that inhibition that they once had kind of, and they end up starting to do stuff that's a little bit. What I suggest to you today is that God is good, but not always safe. And if you let me say this, the spirit is a gentleman or is gentle, but is not always well behaved. And the Spirit can sometimes make messes so that he can bust through maybe our paradigms and boxes, especially mine and yours. Did you catch the emotion of the crowd that day at Pentecost? As Luke describes it, what were they feeling? 
they felt amazed, but they were also bewildered and perplexed at what they were witnessing. Because being out of control is actually pretty scary. Unless you're my son Elijah, who's 18 months, and one of his favorite things to do is to have me throw him really high up in the air, and then if I do it right, I catch him upside down. And he just starts howling with laughter. He's totally out of control, but he's having fun. Why? Because he trusts me. And there's something about being out of control and being in love's embrace that works. But most of the time we're out of control, it's scary, and we know why, right? Anybody ever had fear uh, failing or fear what people thought? Has this ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Ever been judged or misunderstood? Or maybe you've actually really messed something up and then had the experience of people treating you different. And when we experience that kind of stuff, especially over and over in our life, that is scary, which makes us want to try to control ourselves, others, our situations. If we perform well enough, we figure whatever the situation we're in and whatever the performance looks like, maybe we'll get what we want or we'll get the outcome we hope for, success, significance, love, whatever it is. Now, the thing about controlling is it takes a whole lot of energy. Has ever happened to you? And I'm thinking we've been working way too hard for way too long. Come on, somebody. You feel me on that at all? Want to say it one more time? We've been working way too hard for way too long, especially to get stuff that we've already got. Because oftentimes we try to earn the things that God already wants to give us, like love, like peace, like significance. And here's the thing that I've experienced with God. He is actually really good at his job. He's actually better at his job than we think he is sometimes. He actually may need less help than we think he might need. Now, what is his job? I'm going to say it really simply, which is bringing heaven to earth. And I think we have a great picture of it with the Garden of Eden. Remember when he formed Adam out of the dust of the ground? And then for Adam to come alive, God actually, do you remember what he did? He breathed into his nostrils. Now, how close do you have to be to somebody to breathe into their nostrils? You want to try it on your neighbor really quick? Go ahead. (laughs) It gives us a picture of how close God was in that reality of the garden, where people could hear his voice, be aware of his presence, be face-to-face with God. And then we have other things like there was no shame or fear of each other. I mean, they were walking around, buck, naked. And there was agricultural abundance, plenty of resources, so there was no poverty, no injustice. The Garden of Eden was heaven fully on earth. But we know the story that sin entered the world. We stopped agreeing with God's version of reality, and then everything went sideways. And I think it's God's desire and his, what he's working towards, his job, is to actually restore the Garden of Eden, bringing heaven fully back to earth. And he's really good at it. So much so that what if our experience of heaven on earth, and I just would invite you to think about some things maybe in your life that you would see, love to see heaven come to, where there'd be no more pain, no more death, no more tears, no more sickness, no more confusion, fear. That what if our experience of heaven coming on earth now was not dependent on our own ability or desire to connect with God, but instead 
had more to do with God's desire or ability to connect with us. That it wasn't based on our measure of what we could do, but based on God's measure or desire towards us. You following what I'm saying here? Maybe another way to think of it is, is that it doesn't always have as much to do with us having the right behavior or saying the right things or doing more of the right stuff, but maybe it's more just us agreeing with what God says is true. And then if we combine our agreement, another word you could use is faith or belief, but I like the word agreement because it just throws a little twist in it. If we say, I agree with what you say is true, God, and then have expectancy that it will actually happen the way he said it would happen, like Jesus really is who he said he was, and like this passage says, the Spirit really is poured out on all flesh. How many of you are, are, are all flesh in here? I'm, I'm serious. How many of you guys are? I see three hands. How many of you guys are men? Women? Young, old, all levels of society. If you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you have received a gift. It actually says in John 14, 12, you will do the things that Jesus has done. Jesus actually said this. You'll do the things that I have done, Jesus said. And even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and what he was alluding to is it's that when I go to the Father, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, you want to try this out? This is the interactive portion of today's sermon. <laughs> what if it's not what we've got to do to be able to connect? What if it's just agreeing with that truth? So let's just try it real quick. Paul, in Galatians 5, describes these things called the fruit of the Spirit. Now, when he says fruit of the Spirit, I think he means these are things that you will actually have in your life because the Spirit is present in you, on you, and around you. What are some of those things? Love, joy, who wants some of that? Peace, patience, love, oh, I said that. Self-control, gentleness, who in here might need some gentleness? Don't elbow your spouse, who in here might need some gentleness in relationships? That, that actually is manifest in our life because of the Spirit's presence. So let's just do this right now. Let's just agree with expectancy what this passage says. So whatever way you connect with God, and right now I give you total permission to experience him in any way he wants you to experience him. You don't have to feel him tangibly. You don't have to hear his voice in some dramatic way. It could be really gentle. It could just be a thought in your mind. But let's just take a moment. Sometimes people like to close their eyes. Sometimes people keep their eyes open. Whatever it looks like for you, God is right here right now. His spirit is in this room, and you can actually connect with him. So just let your mind and your heart and your will agree with that. Whoa. And now let's just talk to him for a minute. God, what fruit do you want to have be real or manifest in our life right now? I'm thinking love. So who in here would love to receive more love? So if it's not based on what we can do to get or earn or receive more of God's love, but simply based on his love and desire to love us, then what we just get to do is just say, I receive your love. So let's just do that right now. Maybe you can pray this prayer out loud or in your mind with me. Holy Spirit, thank you you're here right now. And I receive 
your love. The passage comes to mind for me right now of uh, Jesus saying that if you were to ask your earthly father for, he has several things, but one of the things he says for like bread, would he give you a stone? And He says, no. How much more, if you ask your heavenly father, will he give you the Holy Spirit? So maybe just ask God right now, God, will you show me right now how much you love me? In whatever way you want to do it, just I receive your love for me. How much? Ooh, that's good stuff right there. Sometimes it's too good to be true. Another one that comes to mind is joy. So if you let me just be a little playful with this, not think too much about our paradigms of theological accuracy. I like to put my hands out sometimes. So if you want to do that with me, you don't have to. It's your choice. And just say, Holy Spirit, (laughs) rest on me, rest on my hands. Whoa. If some of you guys see tongues of fire, that's cool. It's in the Bible. You don't have to. You can experience God however he wants to experience you. Holy Spirit, come rest on my hands. It's okay to be perplexed. It's okay to be bewildered by what I'm doing. You're in good company. Now, Put those hands on your stomach, which in the Hebrew understanding is actually where your spirit or your soul is. But it's also the place where we carry most of our stress and anxiety. Yeah? And you guys ever have abdominal pain, indigestion? Who could use some joy? Whoa. And we say, to our bellies, I give you permission to feel joy. So I release the joy of the spirit into you, belly. We just pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and fill us with your joy. Whoa. We agree that you are here and that you have joy that can be our strength, that can be everlasting. Not based on circumstances or situations, but because you are here. Whoa. Now, this passage doesn't, just talk, doesn't really talk about fruit. It actually talks about something else that happens when the Spirit comes on us. And that is, people will be able to do what kind of stuff? Prophesy, have visions, dreams. And they actually will have signs and wonders that heaven is way closer than we may have realized. Signs that heaven is here that makes us wonder, whoa, is this really true? And this brought to mind a couple stories that I think hit on the reality that the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh, even in amazing and somewhat bewildering ways. Like a guy who actually was diagnosed with cancer in his esophagus. And he wasn't a believer, and he was stressed out about this. His son, who was, tried to convince him to come to this church that did healing prayer. And finally, his father caved. And when they went to the time that was set aside, they signed in, and a person came up to him, and the way he described it is he heard his name called, looked up, and there was a little boy standing there. I think he was about eight or nine years old. And this guy was mad. He actually said pissed off. I came five hours. I have a terminal illness. I am freaking out. And the best this church can do is send me a kid? And then he described the story of how when the boy came towards him, this presence that he described, this presence came over him that actually made him fall on the ground 
and it knocked him unconscious for 45 minutes. Whoa. And when he woke up, the little boy was rubbing his chest, and he asked him, hey, are you okay? How you doing? And he was like, whoa, I just feel this, like, peace, as he described it. All the fear's gone. And then he started paying attention to his body, and he felt this fire going all throughout his throat. Now, long story short, he went back to the doctor, and his cancer was completely healed. Now, this may raise more questions than it does answer, so feel free to be bewildered and perplexed, because I've got more. At this church, in our youth group, we go to uh, Happy Camp, California, do a river rafting trip, and connect with God, connect with each other, camp out by the river, and uh, during one of the times in prayer, we had one of our high school students uh, experience God's presence in such a way where she couldn't stand up anymore, she laid on the ground in the dirt, and as she described later, she had this thing that she started to see where there was these creatures, she said, they looked really weird, and I remember they had like six wings, and they were all flying around, and, and then I asked her, I was like, have you ever heard of or read Isaiah from the Old Testament, his prophecy? And she's like, no, I've never heard of that. And I was like, like this, and I showed her in Isaiah chapter 6, where it describes Isaiah seeing these six-wing creatures that he called seraphim that were flying around God's presence. A 15-year-old girl in the dirt in Northern California saw the same thing that the prophet Isaiah saw thousands of years ago. Is that crazy? If you combine any kind of belief with expectancy that it could actually happen. Another quick story. A couple other uh, people in our youth group here, a couple of high school students, actually had dreams separate from one another that Allie, well, yeah, Allie, I was about to say Allie and I, Allie was pregnant with twins. That's my wife. And we hadn't told anybody that we actually were pregnant at the time because it was so early in the pregnancy. And then at one point, she actually had signs of miscarriage. So we rushed to the doctor to see if everything was okay. Uh, this was um, our daughter, Anna. The doctor took a look, and she's like, hey, baby's totally healthy. Everything's fine. But because of the dreams that the girls has had, we pressed the doctor a little bit more, and she took a closer look, and she said, oh, you know, you guys actually did have twins. And one of them miscarried, but the other one's totally healthy, which is our daughter, Anna. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that story, but we would have never known had not... God prophesied through a dream to two girls that we listened to. And what God did through that was comfort us about what he was doing with that baby that we had lost in pregnancy. So in this passage in Acts, there's this incredible story of the Spirit being poured out and God's grace and mercy. But if you listen to the story, there's also this other little piece, which is that people in their bewilderment and perplexity, some of them, when Peter stood up and said, hey, you guys missed it with Jesus, because these were Jews that may have actually seen him crucified, may have actually celebrated his death. You guys missed what God was doing with Jesus, but he's given you another opportunity now by the Holy Spirit to see that this Jesus is who he said he is, and if you would just repent and believe, then you too will receive this Holy Spirit. Thousands that day repented, but there were some that actually responded with offense and disbelief. And as you read the story of Acts, what starts to happen with those folks is, is that they start to miss out on what God was doing in the moment and stop experiencing the reality of what God was doing. There's always an opportunity for them to come and believe and repent, but something started to shift 
even among the Jewish people. My son, Sam, when he was about three years old, we loaded him up in the car and said, hey, Sam, we're going to Montana on a road trip. Usually we wouldn't give our kids too much a heads up because they wouldn't understand. He's like, okay, Montana, for a vacation. And I think we got to about Ellensburg, and we got out of the car at an Albertsons, I think, and Sam walked inside the Albertsons, and he says, is this Montana? <laughs> and I was like, no, buddy. It's still a lot farther to drive. But when we get there, you'll know because there's these huge mountains covered in snow. It was winter at the time. And we're going to be able to play and make snowmen and forts, and it's going to be so beautiful. Not cold cuts and dairy products and things like that. <laughs> now, he could have looked at me and said, this is Montana. I know it's Montana. We're staying here. I don't want to get back in the car and drive all that way. But obviously, he didn't because he trusted us, even though we were taking him somewhere that was beyond what he knew or understood and may actually be a long time of a journey, especially for a three-year-old to get there. He believed that there was this place that was as amazing as we described. And I think the same is for us as we agree with what God's trying to tell us right now. There's more, more, more than we could ever ask for or imagine. So let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are good at your job. And it may be way different than what we've experienced in the rest of our life, that it's not about us trying to do the right thing to get to you, but actually you coming to us. So we pray, God, that we'd be able to experience you now in ways that may even bewilder us and perplex us. So God, make us a people that can trust you and have expectancy to be able to experience you more. So when we're doing the stuff of heaven coming to earth, that it'll be fun, God, and not so much work. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen.